Hi, and welcome back to the Wild West Tennis Podcast, brought to you by Quality Shot Tennis. Today, this shouldn't be a big surprise. We have Mr. Canada. We have Stephen from The Slice. Man, I mean, this is such an honor to have you, of all people, on the, the podcast this week. What's it been like for you post-Davis Cup, you know, <laughs> euphoria? Yeah, it's been awesome. It's been a great week for Canadian tennis, uh, obviously. Watching, we felt confident coming into the Davis Cup finals that we had the team that could win it based on the other teams that were there. Um, but actually coming through, coming through two really tight matches at the B or ties at the beginning, beating Germany, just squeaking through, beating Italy in three set or three matches. Um, yeah, and then kind of sweeping Australia just kind of a dream run and yeah Felix was the star like he won all of his matches didn't drop didn't even get broken in singles um so yeah just a huge performance and I can tell I know from all the people in Canada that have been building into this for like literally decades and decades to try and get a result like this I think the numbers we've been competing in the Davis Cup since for 109 years and this is our first title um so yeah it's pretty amazing week for for Canadian tennis well, um, and back to that, I, you know, the last, you guys in 2019 made it to the final. Were you covering the sport at that time as you are now, Stephen, or were you just an avid fan? Um, I was covering, yeah, we were covering the, the sport then. And yeah, I, I remember watching Shapovalov and Pospisil specifically make a lot of magic in that run and get us to the finals, which was a pretty big result. And then I think they were playing Spain in the finals where they had Rafa um, and whoever else was their second fiddle, maybe RBA, who was tough. So that was a really tough team. So that was like a good result for Canada to get to the final. would have been absolutely a big upset and a huge victory if they had won. But yeah, I think that really showed Canadians and our players that you know they can do it. They just got to put it together and have the team there. And so this year now, yeah, the three years later with Chef Valve being much more of a seasoned pro, not not a veteran by any means, but like much more of a week in, week out, year in, year out, top 25 level player, top 20 level player. And then Felix now being like, you know, a solid week in, week out, top 10 player, you know, going up the rankings every week almost. Um, yeah, they had no reason why they shouldn't believe they could do it. And then they just put it together and did it, which is, you know, that's the hard part. And yeah, so super crazy. Well, yeah, they, you know, looking at it on paper, I uh, thought it would either be the U.S. or Canada that would win. Um, and, you know, it the format, it's, it's different, of course, but it did produce a lot of drama. If you don't mind going back and, and talking about that first uh, tie with Germany, and the, you guys were you were down a set in the doubles. You were pretty close to facing elimination. And Chapo <clears throat> and Papasil, I mean, Chapo just went off. Do you want to talk about that that conclusion of the doubles match? Yeah, for sure. The that was an amazing turnaround in that match, is what they talk about because Chapovalov was talking about how you know they just all you know once they were down that set, they started to really just find a level that felt dreamlike for them like they felt like they couldn't miss a shot they were playing exactly the way they wanted to play i think shapoval started that match really well uh he was kind of carrying the team and then possibly was lagging behind a bit it looked like he kind of just had low energy and you know it hasn't been the, the best year for possible he's you know definitely older now i think he's around like 33 or something like that um 
but he was able to find energy and then start to to really show why he's you know considered a super solid doubles player. Uh, he has won Wimbledon as a doubles um, on a doubles team with Jack Sock. If you guys re- if you remember that, so he started to show his class. And then yeah, I think just the level that the top level of Shapoval and possibly was higher than the doubles specialist uh, puts. And I forget the other guy's name uh, in, in for Germany, and they kind of just took it away from them uh, in that second and third sets there. And yeah, so it was a pretty crazy turnaround because Canada was like on the ropes, right? In that, in that tie, they were almost out of the Davis cup and then they were able to squeak through and keep the, the magic alive, which was really cool. Yeah. It was really exciting and for Chapo to step up and just be so electric in that doubles match was exciting. And you mentioned having a veteran like Papa Sill there <clears throat> gives you a lot of confidence when you're his partner. Um, you also mentioned, I, I listened to your podcast that you did after the, uh, I think it was the night after, or maybe the night you guys had won. And you mentioned that you had talked to the Davis Cup captain. Um, was that doing with the virtual, uh, you know, the remote thing, or did you talk to him one-on-one? No, I just asked I, him a couple questions, a couple questions. Um, during the press conferences, the virtual. So I asked him one after the German match. I asked him, you know, did he chose Shapovalov to play with Pospisil in that doubles. And I said, you know, was that, was 2019 playing into your decision there? Uh, he said, yes. And then I asked him some fun questions after they won the title. Like, are you going to show the boys how it's done at the pub after this? this. I loved it. That was so awesome that, that you uh, were able to share that on your, uh, on your podcast, because I've done the, and, and before we get done with this podcast, I'd like to talk a little bit about the virtual media room experience that you have. I've only experienced it once, so we can maybe touch on that before we get off. But it really was hysterical. And you, you didn't tell us exactly how hoarse they really sounded. But the first guy, he, he, he couldn't even talk. He sounded like me right now. I'm a little hoarse in general. Yeah. <laughs> like, it really was. You didn't overbill it. Like, <laughs> they were... They sound like they've been literally at a rock concert or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And was that, and to add, add more to the question, were, were there other Canadian journalists um, on site? And there must have been others doing it remotely, I'm guessing. I think there was think there were- only one on site. And, um, and it was like, it was, they were a French person. I don't, I don't even know who it was. So most of us were o- online. Um, and yeah, it was it was pretty funny. But uh, I I've heard secondhand uh, that when so I basically I had done an interview with the two bench players on Canada who were Alexi Galarneau and Gabriel Diallo, and they were both the hor- like they couldn't speak, they lost their voice, and it was pretty funny. Um, and so when they spoke, I think I, one of the other journalists who was actually there in person said like the whole room just like burst out laughing. It was like really funny. Um, so I don't know. To me, that was like the funniest moment of the week. That it, that was so awesome. It really was, and um, it, it just you could hear the whole the whole team cracking up. And then I think you told us in your report that they had like a six a.m. flight, so they weren't gonna they were just gonna keep the the, the party going as as it were. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what that's what he said. He said uh, you know they got a that's what they said on the on the press. They said they got a six a.m. flight and. You know, whatever time it was. I actually don't think it was too late at that time. It was like probably the afternoon there or the, maybe the evening. But um, yeah, they said they were going to you know, go all the way until the 6 a.m. flight, which I think is pretty funny. Um, that is 
unless you got maybe they got business class back where you can lay down the the seat and fall asleep which would be that'd be awesome uh if they didn't though it'd be a pretty rough flight home i would imagine you'll like this um it's a nice segue for me in 2002 i was in brazil for a uh it was a, a davis cup tie between brazil and canada and just to get back into the world group so it was okay. in september after the us open a couple of weeks and to, to tell you how depleted your team was at the time, uh, Nestor was playing singles and doubles. And okay. a lot of people don't realize how good Nestor is, period, as a tennis player. Right. 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 Forget about him being one of the all-time greatest doubles players with great hands and an awesome serve. Um, the guy hung pretty tight uh, playing on slow red clay. But that's not really what I'm, I'm going to talk about. I was on the same flight back with your guys, with your team. Uh, but Nestor wasn't on that flight, but the rest of the guys were. And, and I think Grant Connell was the team captain. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There were a few uh, cold beverages uh, being knocked down with those guys. But they were so cool. Uh, that team, again, it's an 0-2 team, and they didn't do well in that tie. But they, they were so accessible. Uh, mm. Just to, okay. I happened to be okay. sitting next to them. They remembered me from the press conferences, and uh, that was awesome. So really. So you had a few cheers with them. Uh, yeah, I did, but I, I couldn't keep up. And um, <laughs> like, it, it was just amazing to get that sort of one-on-one -on -one opportunity early in my career. But I, I wanted to ask you um, a bit about, uh, do you think, how long has Frank been the captain? Has it been about five years? Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. exactly. The, um, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly not sure exactly. I think, I don't, I'm not sure if he was the captain in 2017. Um and then I, yeah, the last time I really paid attention was 2019, which I think he was the captain then. Um, but I don't think it's been too, too long. Too, too long. I should so, know, that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, no, he was. Um, I, sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot like that because I, I remember watching him as a player and I always yeah. thought he was an unlucky guy because I thought he had a lot, he had a big game. Um, he's well suited in this role. So do you imagine he'll stay uh, pretty active as a Davis Cup captain? I mean, I imagine with the success. I, I would imagine. I, I mean, imagine. it's like I mean, if you take the team to the World Championships, right? They won the title. Um, uh, you can't really – I can't really see you I hanging up the, the role as the, the role coach, as the coach after that. After so, that. I, so, yeah, I, I could yeah, imagine I as an ex-pro tennis player, you know, if you want to stay in tennis, your options are fairly limited. And if you're the coach of the World Championship team, can't see why you wouldn't want to keep doing that so he's super pumped up if you can see him like he's on the on he's getting as fired up or more fired up than the players on the court and uh yeah you know he made all the right made calls right this call. week allegedly like you know he put like the doubles put teams the doubles out team. there that that got the win both times and then obviously just keeping Chapo and felix playing the singles was like the kind of no-brainer choice but you know got the win which winning winning is what matters at the end of the day I think I agree. I think he did a fantastic job, and that's why I, I assume that you would give us that positive feedback that he'll he'll keep that job as long as he can, um, because he made some difficult decisions. It's it's really if you look back at a lot of these, they were so close. All the you know except for the final, most of these um, matches went the distance, and they had to play the doubles. Uh, you guys you guys stepped it up so big in the final. And that's the last thing I'd like to mention is that 
Chapo got on the board in singles. Um, it sounds like he, Frank, you know, didn't lose any confidence in Dennis. And it was a matter of time before he would get it right in the singles. What, what was the feeling in your mind about Dennis and why he was struggling a little before that final against uh, Australia? Yeah, I think they were – both of his losses were, were pretty tight, right? And they're both against players who you can lose to, obviously. Like they're both big game players. Um, Struff has a m- massive game, obviously, so indoor hardcore, it's going to be always tough against him. Um, and then Sonigo, you know, he's had a terrible year, I think, for his standard. But uh, he is a player, obviously, who's super athletic, can play very well. So both those losses, like, yeah, they're bad lo- – they're not great losses, but they're like, it's not against somebody who's like 300 in the world. Like who's just like, what the heck? Like, you know, so I feel like Chapa Valve that, you know, he was never going to not play on Sunday. That would be, I think that'd be pretty crazy to put Vasek Pospisil out there against Kokonakis. Cause that's like a total toss up. Um, Chapa Valve should be Kokonakis, although Kokonakis can kind of beat anyone in the world. It seems on his day. Um, and yeah, he came out there and proved that, you know, he was, should be the guy and to play second and uh he stepped up and he got it done it was actually a pretty comprehensive win there he returned super well um and just played that style of tennis that he had that he brought through the end of the, the atp season that did him so well making the vienna final playing some really um stockholm i think semifinals, two finals in in asia or something like that final semifinal. so yeah he, he was playing good tennis at the end and he, sh- he finally showed that in davis cup and helped uh get the win yeah, you got it right. The two finals in Asia, and I think one was against Medvedev, and then the the uh, in Tokyo he got to the semis. So you're right, he came in on fire, and I believe that got him in back into the top twenty. I think so, yeah. And for you know Shapo, boy, what a shot maker! Um, I mean, they both really had a great fall. You know, Felix and Shapo. Uh, you know, what's what's your forecast for these guys next year? Maybe let's. Start with Dennis. Um, we were talking about him. What do you think is going to 2023 will look like for Dennis? Well, I think if he can continue to play the way he, he plays or he was playing at the end with the, just a really mature tennis, the same strap of olive that we love with the shot making and the finishing ability, but just a more reined in with unforced errors and just smarter kind of general play. Uh, you know, I don't see a reason he can't get back and challenge for the top 10. So that's my goal for him wouldn't be next year to, to crack the top 10 again. I think he's done it before. Um, and, you know, he's made the semifinals of a, of a slam before. People forget that. I think people, like, love to pile on Chapo when he plays bad because it's kind of, like, spectacular when he's just missing, like, a ton and he can't put anything together. But when he reigns that in, he can really take it to anyone on tour. So, you know, he beat Australian Open last year, he beat Zverev, he beat Nadal on clay this year. Um, you know, he's taken it, you know, Djokovic, he had, they had a pretty, I mean, it was three sets in Wimbledon, but he, he should have won that first set for sure. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think top 10 is uh, is realistic for him, and, and I'll just hope that he just plays the way he knows he, or, or he was at the end of 2022 here. I agree. I, I, he's such a, a fan favorite, just that stylistic uh, play the the backhand is somewhat reminiscent of uh, Warinka. The serve, some people compare it to McEnroe's. Not so much the, the the motion, but the effectiveness of his lefty serve. And yeah. you know, he's just the kind of person. I don't care who he's playing. I'm going to watch Dennis Shapovalov play. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, it's never it never disappoints. 
Um, who's coaching him right now? Is I think I may have asked you that the last time. It does he have a coach? Yeah, it's Peter Polanski, who is um, kind of his friend, and he was a, he just kind of he basically came out of like struggling on the Challenger Tour to coach Shapovalov, and they they played through a really tough time. So yeah, he's his full time and only coach now. I think. Excellent. Um, so to Felix, who as you mentioned had such an amazing fall himself. He was one of the hottest players, and he ended the year at number six. People like to talk about him just as much as Dennis. Um, and I, I think you're right about that negativity thing. These two guys really take it on the chin, don't they? Uh, because of their immense talent. I think so. They have, everyone sees their upside. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone's bashing Felix anymore. Like he kind of, I think he shut them up uh, this year very well, winning four title, four singles titles, two team titles. Like, think about it the atp cup that's an atp title and then the davis cup that's a title as well and then he had four single he had two atp 500s two 250s beat Djokovic, beat alcaraz twice so really like you, you can't think of him as a player who's not clutch anymore because honestly he's been one of the more clutch players uh in 2022 especially the second half so yeah him going into 2023 it's just the, me and gil gross were talking about it yesterday like the crazy thing is he still has or on Monday, he still has areas to improve in his game, which is amazing when you think he's number six in the world. He's that lethal on the court right now, but he still has like fairly big improvements that he can make in his backhand. Um, his kind of, yeah, his backhand, his return of serve can get better. His second serve can get better. Um, and then he can just do everything better probably as well with the, with the forehand and the serve as well. Like he can just get tweak, you know, keep improving those slightly, but um, yeah, he's, he's, he said this year now, I think in an interview that I saw, he believes he can be number one in the world. And, you know, a lot, at the beginning of last year, it was like he didn't seem he was very close to winning a slam or being number one in the world. But would it shock you if you won a slam next year? Wouldn't shock me. It would be like, oh, I think that's a big step. Like, like That's a huge step. Maybe a little bit, little bit unexpected. But I think going into Australia, he's in the top five of contenders for sure. Um, has to be. In my opinion. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, nobody, I, I don't think any one of us would be shocked if, if he uh, reached a, a slam final and then won one. I mean, it, it's, he's been so close with the semifinals and, you know, having a match point on Medvedev at last year's Australian Open, he's been knocking on the door. And I liked, I, I, I read one of your, I think it was your article on your Monday, you put out the, the, um, the newsletter on Mondays. Yeah, and I think I think he mentioned when you had interviewed him at some stage that he likes the leadership role, and I, I like that comment from him. Um, what qualities do you think? You know, you talked about his game, but he could improve. Um, you know, the stroke wise, but can you talk a little bit about his uh, mental toughness, maybe, or the, why he is a good leader? Yeah, I mean, I think he's just a great player, and he's a great guy. Like he is. Um here's one here's a story from behind the scenes for you so in basel i had the i was there with all week when him with him when he won i was the only canadian reporter there and in the you know i'd asked him you know we were doing like mix zone after each match and like he would come up and we'd like dap it up after he won i was like dude great play like you're crushing it he's like yeah man and then he won and then so he's sitting up there and then there was more reporters there in the final press conference than the other weeks or the other matches and then so basically i don't get chosen she goes through and she, and it's, I don't know what was going on there, but she was picking everyone else and she didn't pick me. And then she was about to switch to a different language. 
French, I guess. And then Felix goes, wait, like he, like you haven't picked him. And she just makes, he makes her let me ask questions, which is just like, cause he's seen my stuff. Like he knows that it's hard for us to get there from across the world. And he's like, why would you not let a Canadian reporter ask questions? So that just shows a bit of how, how good of a guy he is. I feel like Um, he's very aware of like the world around him. Like reporters don't get paid a lot of money. It's hard for them to be there. So we should, you know, I just made a million or whatever. Like it's let's, let's spend a few extra minutes letting them do their thing. So I really appreciated that from him. And I showed his class. So when you're a great player and a really good guy, I think he's a natural leader. And then I think in the team events, they're more emotional than, than uh, singles events. And I think that helps him because typically when he loses or he's not playing well, he, he kind of gets tense and he gets locked up a bit or he has in the past. And I think even when he's playing maybe not his best or he's down break point or whatever in team events, there's more emotions on the court. And I think that actually elevates his game, helps him, helps him uh, not, you know, yeah, not overcompensate in a, in a point or, or try and, you know, over hit. Like he just is like emotional and he gets like guides that energy into like the big shots and the right shot selection. So yeah, I think that's yeah. He, I think he just enjoys team events, and then yeah, he sees himself as a leader because he's usually, usually the best player on those teams. That's beautiful answer. Thank you so much for taking us behind the scenes because I think that's the important thing, uh, especially in a forum like this with the podcast. Is I I want to hear more answers like that from people. I want them to take us behind the curtain. Yeah. And, yeah. And and this speaks to if we can for a. a, a uh, a, you know, a segment here, talk about the virtual media experience versus being uh, at, at, on site. Yeah. Um, yeah. And your, your example is so well illustrates the point of uh, reporters have to be on site. We can do both. We can do virtual and be on site. But just the fact that he, re- he knows who you are, he saw the effort, and uh, things have changed a lot. I think since the pandemic, they've gotten used to the, the speeding up press conferences. They used to be a lot longer than they are now, even at the majors. Mm-hmm. So for him to have the, you know, be, to have the awareness to say, well, Stephen, you know, he wanted to do that because he knew, number one, he could trust you. You'd ask an appropriate question. But that doesn't happen all the time. And it doesn't happen without you uh, being there that whole week. So yeah. if you don't mind, yeah. maybe your thoughts on, um, well, the virtual media room situation versus being on site. It's a big question. We can, we can you know, have a couple shots at it. Yeah. Um, no, but you made a good point. Like, it doesn't happen without you being there and showing that you're there in week in, week out. Like, sometimes, you know, big news outlets in Canada, like CBC might parachute in a reporter for, like, the final if somebody makes it. And it's like those players don't know them and they don't really – don't really care but if you can show that you're the one investing in their game like week day in day out like they are then i think they appreciate that um but yeah it's a big question i think i was saying on another show like i think uh tennis and tennis media are at like a bit of a crossroads like where where are we going from here because my impression was it always felt like the tournaments or the atp were doing us a favor by just letting us be there and uh cover the events which is very strange, right? Because in the in the past, if you didn't have media, like in the say, let's say the '60s, if it was the '60s and you didn't have any media there, nobody other than ticket holders would know that your event's going on, or be able to watch it or see anything about it. That's obviously changed because media is like way easier to produce now. 
you know, social media, these tournaments and the ATP can basically put out their own coverage of their tournament and, and put all the media out there that a fan would need to see, right? They got tennis TV streaming it. You can pay for that. So it seems like the press core or like the traveling press group is basically seen as, and maybe it is like an optional thing for tennis. Like they don't need, it's not an essential part of tennis anymore, but Obviously, you could argue that, you know, if it's only the ATP and the tournament's covering their own thing, there's never going to be any uh, questions about it. It's never going to, it's you know, basically like a state run media covering a, a, a dictator. So it's like never going to be uh, objective and scrutinized. So it, things could get a little bit tricky there. And also, I believe, you know, obviously professional media and, and, and people like us, we add a whole nother entertainment la- layer to the, to the thing what like literally in the group of youtubers that i know we we literally drive tens of millions of views of our content which is not does not include any original tennis content we drive tens of millions of of views of tennis fans watching our content talking about the atp basically so that proves that we like we bring an added value to the sport because the fans spend time and money watching us um and but then I felt like when we go to these tournaments, a lot of the times it's, I mean, it's not all it's like they like it is tournament to tournament. It it didn't feel like you can do the basics there. It did feel though like a little bit of a, a grind to get player access. I've I've heard from other journalists like Christopher Clary of the New York Times. He said you know at the French Open this year he was pretty disappointed with the lack of player access and stuff like that. And I felt the lack of player access at a lot of these tournaments as well. I felt like I really had to hustle the the media representatives there to get them um so i almost had to like annoy them like follow them up be like hey take me with you when's this interview happening like bring me along like you know um they they so that's what i mean like tennis media and tennis is at a crossroads because like they want they want newspaper reporters to come there sit there write their articles at a press conference and get the quote and leave but you don't need to be there to get a quote and leave like that's like why show up like right so the like the you need to show up to like get the understanding of the ma- of the matches and the tournaments and like write your commentary on it. But a lot of n- newspapers and stuff like that isn't really commentary. It's just like kind of like rap, like saying what happened, which is kind of also like pointless and in, in a little bit of my way. Like we, everyone can just look up on their on the apps or whatever, like what happened or watch it um, or watch the highlights and stuff like that. So I think there needs to be a bit of a reimagination and like an evolution of the relationship between tennis media and the sport um but like all things in tennis progress is hard because it's not controlled by one competent group it's many slight you know slightly competent or non-competent groups controlling it which is uh which is where we're at i don't don't know if bradley you, you see it changing ever from that from that status quo you you summed it up beautifully what uh what Stephen just said, folks, I've only been to two events this year, and both were in Mexico. And if you're not on the case, like he mentioned, if you and it's we don't want to hound anybody. You know, I, I don't believe that the um, <laughs> the squeaky wheel gets more grease, but if that's sometimes what we have to do. Um, it is. It, and I think what happened with the virtual media, with the pandemic, and then the virtual media room, um, I think that they kind of found something that, oh, wow, we can really cut the, the time 
that we're allowing, uh, you know, cut the press conferences. And then that means cut, like, limit, like cutting back on the one-on-ones. But without uh, a person like yourself having access to tennis players to build the relationship like you're doing with Felix, um, the, the fans aren't going to get what, they're, what they used to get with people like Bud Collins, you know, beat writers. Myself, I was a beat writer uh, for a couple of years before I uh, switched to TV. They knew who the beat writers were. And when a person like Serena Williams, for example, would have a bad loss, she would look to, a, his name is Matt Cronin, and somebody has to start that press conference. But with her, it's scary. And they would look at this reporter, a beat writer, Matt Cronin, who still covers the sport. And he, he had a way of answering, asking that tough question to get it started. Mm. Um, I'm going to say one more thing. They also do something now that they never did before. Somebody from the tour, or um, in the case of Grand Slams, maybe somebody from the ITF, will ask the first question of the player. Yeah. And the, it's a question that's typically one that would get asked anyways. Is that taken away from us? So I'm going to say everything you said is true, and, and I, we don't want um, to cause conflict with the people that are helping us in communications, but totally. we, we need this access. And I don't think what they, I think what they're forgetting to realize is the players don't mind that much. And that's why your example of Felix is so on point. He said, wait a minute. And he looked at you and he, and he, he made that happen. Uh, that's vital. So like you said, people are getting uh, all the match information they need, but they want to know who the people are, the players are. You know, maybe I would ask you this. Um, you've been at these tournaments. How many tournaments do you think you'll go to next year? I know you've moved to Europe now. What's the schedule look like? No, so I'm actually back in Canada now. So, um, yeah, it'll probably be. I'm not. I pro, I'm. I mean, there, there's a slight chance I go to Australia. Pretty low chance. Um, and then, yeah, I'd pro, I'd go at least to India Wells or Miami probably. Um, and then I'll go to the Montreal Toronto event, probably to both. Um, yeah. And then some two fifties in, in the U S but I probably won't go to Europe this year. Um, unless, you know, someone's paying me to go, um, uh, outside of the slice. So we'll see, but, um, yeah, it's becoming less and less, uh, worth it to go to these tournaments unless you work for a big, um, organization even the big organizations like i i i know the big organizations in canada and they would love to pay me to go there but they can't get the sign off to do it because they can't show that it pays off in in returns so that's and that's what tennis is doing to itself so like the big tv stations that produce billions in revenue can't afford to send their people to tennis because they don't do a good enough job of promoting it on on all ends so that's uh that's the direction it's heading unfortunately so it's i don't think that's a good thing it's it doesn't create organic or doesn't help with the organic fanfare or like community of of tennis fans who you know when they when they watch the sport they don't just watch it but when, then when they go and actually like engage in it for hours often watching commentary watching analysis that helps grow their interest in the actual product which is like the tennis happening on the court you you, you get it you've got it and you've been you know you're stuck with this um and i i think that it it's really important that we get the message out because they i think the fans like never before you don't even have to have tv anymore uh like you can stream all these matches right you you mm -hmm. mentioned uh 
I think it was ATP. T what what TV streaming service did you mention? Fast um, TV, TV, which is just the ATP. Yeah, but I'll I'll listen to you know quality shot tennis. Uh, Fizan does a great job, um, you know, commentating on the matches. I think people like it. They're getting all that, but what's missing is um, you know the the feature type stuff and and what mm. what is Felix really like? I don't know what these guys are like yeah. without people yeah. like you um, having that opportunity to have a one on one with them. Which yeah. I found to be very difficult to procure a one-on-one -on -one at, at a tournament. It used to be, it was never easy. Now it almost feels impossible. Have, have you yeah. been able to get any one-on-ones? Well, yeah. Have you seen my? I so I had a with Felix in in Basel. I did have a one-on-one. -on -one. We sat down. We did a full interview. I can send you the link after. It was just I had to type it up because I could only record it on my phone. Um, but I also did a one-on-one -on -one ten minute with Casper Ruud, uh, which was really good. I did two with Bianca Andreescu. Um, I did one with Denis Shapovalov. But yeah, I had, to, I had to hustle for those. I had to make it uncomfortable for the ATP person to get me with them. Except for the one person, you know, I went and I got most of them at 250s. That's where it happens. Like you're never going to get a one-on-one -on -one at a major unless, yeah, it's a sneaky side room one where they're just like, you know, you're the only Canadian person around. Like if you're like, if you're Norwegian, you can probably get a one-on-one -on -one with Casper. Like it's a, uh, but yeah, you gotta you gotta work to get those. So they're they are pretty rare and they're harder to get because the ATP thinks that those players don't want to do that. But, but I think I they think don't, don't want to do it with clowns. clowns. And I think the clowns are the people who poach tennis coverage when it's popular. So whatever CNN comes in and they want to do an interview with Federer because he's retiring, but they know nothing about his career and they haven't followed it. And they ask stupid questions. Like, that's what I think everyone hates. The fans, no, I don't want to watch that interview. Uh, Federer probably doesn't want to do it. But the tours get a hard-on because they're like, oh, it's CNN. They have a big reach. It's like, well, reality, you know, they don't. Like, they don't have a deep reach, which depth counts in our sport now where we have a billion fans. We're not growing. We're not going to get two billion fans of tennis. I don't I don't think that. That's my opinion. Um, um. I think we're just going to grow the depth of the sport. And if 1 billion fans are spending $1 a year on tennis, can we make that $5 a year on tennis? That's a big increase. Something like, Something you know, like grow, you know, grow the depth, grow the of, depth our sport, of our sport, not the width. Not it's, the width it's, I would say it's too wide almost now. You, you, this beautiful. I mean, are you friends with Basic? Because you remind me of him. Because he's such a, you know, he deals with, uh, he, I think he's, I don't know if he's still on the board. But yeah. he's been such yeah. an active, uh, you know, member in the politics of the tour and such yeah. a brilliant thinker. I bet he'd be on board with everything you said. I don't know what your relationship's like with him, but you guys got to get together. Yeah. 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 I, I, maybe I should chat with him. No, we've never him. spoken. He's, uh, he hasn't responded to a request from me. But, yeah, we, I could probably set that up if I really tried. Well, I know you got to get going, but I, I would highly encourage that because – Everything that you said, and you said it so succinctly, um, it's, it's true. And you're not trying to throw anyone under the bus. That's not our job here. Um, and the fact that, you know, the hustle part, that's fine. Um, and I think that what, the, what a lot of times the communication people or even the tournament staff, sometimes uh, they don't want to upset a player. And I get it. Nope, that's not a good feeling. Yeah. It sucks. Um, but... Uh, your example illustrates that they really don't mind. They get it. 
I mean, they're not getting bombarded like they used to with yeah. media requests from the likes of yourself and, and the rest of us. Um, so, and even Isner, he's kind of like Vasek. They, they get it. They, they understand how to grow the game, what, what really yeah. matters. Yeah. Um, so I, I would, yeah, I, I, my challenge to you would be to talk to Vasek because I, I, it'd be great. And I think he would uh, appreciate your, <laughs> your like-minded uh, perspective on the sport. He wants to grow it just as much as you do. So, but hey, it's been, this has been great. I'd love to sometime just have a, a podcast with you and anyone else um, on this topic because I don't, the, I don't think our viewers are aware of how much of a struggle it is for us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Are, are they? Do they know what, what it's like? I think they do, and I think they appreciate it. Um, I mean, they should if they can connect the dots. I, I talk about it on my show a bit, quite a bit. Um, you know, you say, yeah, didn't get a press pass for this, didn't get a press pass for this tournament. Um, when there's all these people that, you know, there's just all these newspapers there and writers who barely cover tennis and don't really provide any value, in my opinion. Um, yeah, so they, I think they know it's a struggle. And, and, uh, and yeah, but, you know, it's a valiant struggle. It's a valiant fight because tennis is worth it. And it's uh, clearly always mismanaged by people who are like corporate climbing federation junkies, I call them, who are just like, hey, I got a big VP role at this next job. Oh, what's the name? It's tennis. Canada or whatever. Okay, I'm working there now. It's like I'm gonna use it for the next three years to then get a different job at a different thing. And like it's just like that's not that, that those aren't the real drivers of tennis growth. Boy, you're right. I've seen the ladder climbing, uh, climbing like in the I you know first dabbled in it when that that time when I met the Davis Cup guys and we were on the same flight twenty or two thousand two. I've seen so many people do exactly what you said. You know, and yeah. good for them. Yeah. And they, they were they were fine, but they were yeah they they didn't seem to be in it. They weren't really tennis people. They were climbers, and good yeah. for them. Yeah, and that's fine. We're not here to throw people under the bus. But Stephen, I appreciate your candor and your courage. Um, you you mentioned that uh, on that we could watch your one on ones. Um, what's the site again? It's the Slice. Yep, the slice, yeah, on, the YouTube. slice on YouTube. It's it's, it's my channel. It's, it's pretty, pretty, easy pretty easy to find. Um, and yeah, right on the yeah, main right page, the main is, page the is the interview with interview with Casper Rude. Casper Rude, number three in, the world. three in the world. Yeah, and I'm gonna. I have to give you a little bit of a hard time. I wore this shirt for you. Okay. You noticed that. <laughs> Red and white. I I did. No, I I didn't connect the dots. To be fair, I'm, but, yeah, I'm I slow. I have long clothes. This is not my good luck shirt. It's actually a bad luck shirt. So. I, I didn't do that for okay. you. I just, okay. Well, I actually did it for you. But I was a little bummed when you introduced the trucker hat. You didn't go with the red and white. And you I don't think that was an option for, for, for... Maybe I got to look that up on our thing. I will get that, actually. That's, that's, that's a good point. I don't think you, that's an option. Uh, you, know, you, you introduced the, the trucker hat for the slice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a navy blue. Could have been black because I was watching True. it on, on my computer. And I thought... Because you said there are other colors available. I'm like, wow, this guy's not like, we're not going with the red and white today. Just cool. I should, get a, red, I should get a red one. That's a good. You've given me a good idea. I'm going to make one. I'm going to no, make a colorway. Yeah, it's a, it's a great hat. So, all right, we're going to let you go. I really appreciate it. I know you're, you're uh, busy today. But thanks a lot for stopping by. Of course. I appreciate it, Bradley. As always, uh, happy to be on Quality Shot. Yeah, and remember, folks, not only to like, and subscribe to Quality Shot Tennis, but also The Slice. Please uh, feel free to leave a comment. Steven, you're, you're the man. It's been a pleasure. I hope we do it again soon. 
Thanks, Bradley. We'll chat soon. See you later, buddy. Okay. See ya. See ya.